Before I interviewed Miriam, she emailed me an article. It's from Bust, a feminist magazine, and it's stories of mothers regretting motherhood. Miriam remembers being pregnant and wondering, how in the world could anyone regret motherhood? I always loved babies and really wanted to be a mom. Mm. And even as a kid, I remember being like, oh, there are people who deliver babies. I'll do that as a job. (laughs) Or like, I'll be a mom as my job. Jobs to me have always felt like, what career do you hold down until you have a baby? Which feels, as like a feminist, feels super antiquated. So it's always been this tension of like, I know I should want a profession and I have a master's. But then at the other hand, I was like, well, I'll pursue this career until I have a family and then I'll be a mom. (laughs) Miriam is not exaggerating. Every piece of her life seems connected to caregiving. She grew up in an evangelical community where her stay-at-home mom ran a daycare out of their home. Her aunt also ran a daycare. Her sister is a teacher. And Miriam herself? She's a social worker, and she works with kids age 0 to 5. But get this. In addition to being a social worker, Miriam is also a birth doula. And I'm not done. She's also a lactation consultant. Can you imagine starting motherhood with all of that knowledge and training about birth and nursing in your own head? By all accounts, Miriam is going to crush motherhood, starting with her birth. The longest birth I was at was about 30 hours, and that felt long. But I was like, this is totally doable. My my sister trained as a doula, as I mentioned, and she suffers from chronic illnesses where like sometimes things don't go the way you plan and you just have to roll with the punches. And so As we were discussing what our birth plan was, I was like, I want it all natural. I know I can totally handle this. I have a pretty high pain tolerance. Having seen other women give birth, it won't be bad. And my sister pushed back a lot and was like, you know, it's okay to need an epidural. It's okay if you end up with a C-section. All of these things are going to be okay. And I was like, no, you just need to be 100% supportive. (laughs) Whatever I want is what you want. And so we talked about it and it ended up being a good Situation. So then I went into just to be clear, labor on Saturday. The conflict with her sister ended up being a good situation, not the birth. I'm Amy Vicknair, and this is the birth of a mother. To rewind, everybody, when you have a new baby, it's just their go-to question. How was childbirth? On the first couple weeks after he was born, every time you'd have a new visitor come, you'd have to like repeat the whole same traumatic story over and over and over again. Miriam was due on a Monday. She went into labor Saturday morning, so two days before her due date. And the first day was great. I was handling it. We went on a walk. We walked down to the beach. This is totally doable. And then by about 2 a.m., I was having contractions that were consistently three minutes apart. So we ended up going into the hospital, and I was one centimeter dilated. One centimeter dilated. Not where Miriam thought she'd be after 24 hours of contractions, but also very normal progress, especially for a first labor. The nurses tell Miriam to head home and labor there as much as she can. But home is where things go in another direction. The contractions become more intense and more painful. She's also having back labor, which means that in addition to painful contractions, she's having excruciating back pain. She tries to catch up on sleep, but she's woken up from the pain. 
She pulls out all the tricks from her doula handbook. Walks, the bathtub, staying on all fours. But it's not working. By that night, she's crying in pain. And they head back to the hospital. So I remember telling my husband, if we get to the hospital and I'm still, if I'm not like fully in transition, I don't think I can handle this anymore. So we got to the hospital Sunday night and I was still one centimeter dilated after 45 hours of labor. Miriam breaks down crying right there with the nurses. She can't believe that all that pain resulted in zero progress. The nurses were originally hesitant to admit her at only one centimeter, but now they quickly did. In Miriam's hospital room on the wall, there's a whiteboard where parents write out their birth plan. Hers says unmedicated, but that's already been crossed out and replaced with unmedicated as possible because she's resigned to a morphine shot. This gives her temporary relief from the pain. It allows her body to relax, hopefully dilate more, and also catch up on sleep from the last 48 hours. She takes a long nap. And woke up from that and was still one centimeter dilated, right? The staff does everything they can to keep it as unmedicated as possible. They give her a fully balloon catheter. This is a way of inducing labor without medication. It's a balloon that goes into the uterus and puts pressure on the cervix to help it dilate. And it worked. It was the first progress they saw in over 48 hours. It got her to five centimeters. But then, another plateau. No progress after five. They were heading into more interventions now. The medicated type that Miriam originally did not want. They started her on Pitocin. And that did nothing. Then, she got an epidural. Oh, it was probably the most painful experience of my life. She's not entirely sure why, though she suspects it has something to do with the back labor. The only input the anesthesiologist gave was, it's not supposed to hurt this much. Either way, the epidural is in, and the pain is numbed, but still no progress. The OB says it'll try one last-ditch effort and up the Pitocin as high as they can get it to see if it moves the needle. So at that point, they upped the Pitocin, and then my epidural wore off while they were upping the Pitocin. So I was laying in this bed screaming. Yeah, it was a miserable 20 minutes. All of this pain got Miriam two centimeters more, which I know may not sound like much, but it's a big deal because now she's at seven centimeters. That's the start of transition, the beginning of the end. And then? And then they broke my bag of waters and I went down to five centimeters, which they didn't tell me until after the baby was born because I think they were like, I don't know if we can demoralize her that much. Miriam was due on a Monday. Monday came and went. Tuesday morning, the OB came in, but this time with a more senior OB. And I was like, well, this is bad news. <laughs> I mean, at this point, I had already been in labor for three days. So, like, I don't really know what I was expecting. But the OB resident was very gentle, and they were trying really hard, but they were basically like, you know, we've tried Pitocin for this long. You're still not progressing. I think we're going to have to do a C-section. Can you remember how you felt in response to that? Yeah, I remember feeling two ways. One, like I was so exhausted and so done with being in labor that I kind of like knew it was going to get to that point and was resigned to it. But then also feeling so 
miserable about it, like a failure. Like my body can't do this. I've failed at this. My body has failed me and I can't do this right. That's a lot on top of now you're in three and a half days of. Yes. Right. Right. Like three days with no sleep. Yeah. Yeah. Plus all of this. I remember like turning on the TV to try to distract myself from the thought of having a C-section and seeing this Huggies commercial where this mom has handed her baby and she's sobbing blissfully at like so in love with this baby and feeling like I will never feel that like I don't want to see this child like get it out. I'm done. I just want to go back to my life beforehand. I mean, I think after three days of labor, anybody would feel that way. But I remember feeling like I have already failed as a mother because I don't want this child anymore. Remember that article that Miriam sent me? The one about regretting motherhood? This is why she sent it. Because at the starting line of motherhood, she started to understand that article. So when the C-section actually happened, I was laying on the table. For C-sections, your arms are kind of strapped down like a crucifix kind of thing, right? And then all the stuff is happening and you're laying with your head back and then supposed to like raise your head up to look at this baby that's being presented to you kind of thing. It's a very awkward and uncomfortable situation. But I at that point was like, I don't want that baby. I was pretty sure that I was going to throw up. I was hot, like having like hot flashes, really bad indigestion. And so my husband was like trying to put the baby on my chest. And I was like, I I can't, I don't want to hold it. I'm going to drop it. Please don't give me this baby. Like I don't want it. And he was like, no, I've got it. Like I'm holding it. You're fine. Okay. I was like, I don't want the baby. I can't be a good mom. As a doula, had you experienced that with a mom before? No. Okay. No, never experienced that with a mom before. And I had never been at a C-section either, but most of the parents were happy when the Mm. baby came along, right? And we had a lot of people tell us before birth that like, it's totally normal for dads to see the baby and not really feel connected with it. Like you weren't pregnant. So like you'll grow into this love for this child, right? But nobody told new moms. Nobody told me that. So then- They ended up having, after the birth, this like whole cadre of people come through and assess my mental health. Multiple OBs came and talked to me. The chaplain came and talked to me, social workers, because I was just a crying, sobbing mess. And yeah, the chaplain was just phenomenal. Her name was Karen. She was just terrific because the social worker was great too, but she was more like planning who is going to help you take care of this baby. Like, what are you going to do when you get home? Kind of like all these steps. Whereas the chaplain was just like, I'm here to listen. And so we went through the whole story. You know, it's funny, like in retrospect as a social worker, the things that she did were like empathetic listening and reflecting back to us exactly what we said. Right. But I was just like, you totally get me. Like, you totally (laughs) understand. You know, I was like, I feel guilty that I don't want this baby. And she's like, I hear you. You feel guilt that you don't want this baby. I was like, yeah, you totally. She just repeated back to me what I said. And then later on, I was like, oh, I see totally what she did. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. But it works. Obviously. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's why it's a social work tactic, right? Because yeah. it works to have somebody reflect back to you what you're feeling. And then you feel just so validated, you know, hearing like, oh, OK, this is how I feel. And that's OK. All right. Maybe then I can do this. Maybe then I can do this. A giant leap from I don't want this baby. And what carries her from one extreme to the other is someone simply bearing witness to her story not giving her advice, not convincing her she would be a good mom, just sitting with her and letting her feelings be. The impossible thing about a traumatic birth is that the mother has very little time to process it. Because as soon as that baby's out, you're on to the next thing. 
feeding. But remember, Miriam is a lactation consultant, so she has this expertise. She's the one that teaches others how to breastfeed. I think when you're in the moment, you know, everything goes out the window. And for me, it made me judge myself more and then doubt myself more. But Miriam did know enough to know that something was wrong with the nursing. And by 12 hours in, her body became the proof. Her nipples were cracked and bleeding. Every time she tried to nurse, it looked something like this. She'd try to get him latched, but he'd cry and push her away. When she got him latched, it wasn't a tight seal. And this is very painful for the mom. It's part of what leads to the cracked nipples. Without a tight seal, the baby doesn't pull out enough milk. So after 20 to 40 minutes of nursing in pain, Miriam would have to pump more milk and then feed her son again, this time with a bottle. So, I don't know, one feeding session is maybe an hour in total? But a newborn baby is fed 8 to 12 times a day. I have completely failed at this. I can't feed my baby. I can't birth my baby. Like, how am I supposed to be successful as a mother? You'd mentioned this feeling of failure. Is that a feeling that you experienced at other points in your life and this was now poking at it again? Or was this a brand new feeling of failing? Yeah, I. It, it's not new for me. I think my my like go-to emotion or reaction to situations is usually guilt or feeling like a failure. So this was not not new at all. I think it was hard in that I had always envisioned motherhood and breastfeeding and all this kind of stuff going well. And so to then feel like a failure was an extra blow, but it's not a new not a new feeling for me at all. What we know now is that Miriam's son's head measured in the 98th percentile. Research shows that head circumference is a better indicator of unplanned cesareans than even birth weight. She felt like a failure, but he was never going to come out any other way. He also had a bubble palate, which is where the palate in the mouth goes up extra high, and he had tongue tie, which limits the tongue's mobility. He couldn't effectively nurse, and it had nothing to do with Miriam's ability. But that didn't stop Miriam, because in her vision of motherhood was an unmedicated birth, nursing until her son was two, and the idyllic stay-at-home motherhood from her own upbringing. She already had to give up the birth. She wasn't going to let go of nursing without a fight, especially since as the weeks went on, it was the only piece of that motherhood vision that she had left. So I definitely thought it would be, you know, this thing that I just absolutely loved and wanted to do forever. I love kids um, so much, and I think child development is really fascinating. And so I think I always had this idealized idea, like, I'll be a stay-at-home mom. It'll be fantastic. My mom was a stay-at-home mom, ran a daycare in our house for a while. But she's just great with kids, and she's so creative, and she really seemed to enjoy it. And so I was like, cool, this is what you do. Like, this is what moms do. They, like, take care of kids, and they're creative, and they, like, plan fun activities. And then I had (laughs) my baby, and I was like, oh, my God, this is really boring and real intense and I don't know if I want to do this. And like, what do I do all day long? 
And feeding was just like a constant struggle where like one or both of us ended up in tears every two hours. I felt like I could never leave the house. And what was I supposed to do with this screaming baby? And then I was just like alone all the time. Would you say that you were experiencing any depression or anxiety? yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I've struggled with anxiety and depression for most of my adult life. And so I think I'm already like primed to know what they look like and primed to know. It took a long time for me to actually get diagnosed with anxiety. And so like, like four years where I had like extreme IBS and was like losing tons of weight and was just like so stressed out. And then I finally got a diagnosis and got on meds. And then I was like, okay, now I know how terrible it was. I never want to go back to how terrible that was. So I, my like anxiety was pretty well managed. And then the baby came and with that like complete crash of hormones, it was like, I was crying at the drop of a hat, which is all like pretty normal in that first six weeks period. But it felt so scary to me. So my mother-in-law stayed with us until Thanksgiving. Before she left, I was like, I don't think I can ever do this by myself. Like, I will never feel well. I will always feel kind of depressed and anxious. One of my sister's friends, we were back east at home, and she came over, and she's got four kids. And she was holding Ananda, and he's, I mean, three weeks old, and we were going through time zone change. So he like wasn't sleeping and then we're in a busy house and I'm like an empath. And so I'm like overwhelmed because there's so many people around and just, and then there's a new baby I'm supposed to be taking care of. She's like, isn't this just the best time of your life? During this best time of her life, nursing and motherhood ended up looking a lot like her birth, slow and painful progress. But unlike Bert, there was no OB there to call the shots. Miriam would have to figure those out on her own, and all her expertise fell short in helping her with that. Even her training as a social worker, a profession known for problem-solving and coping with tough situations, it proved futile in the face of hormones and rapid changes and the pain of trying to get a baby to nurse. But she did have something. And it wasn't learned through school or certifications. It wasn't cognitive like that. It was deeper, the kind of lesson that sticks with you, becomes part of you, because it's learned through pain. In this case, the struggle of getting her anxiety and her depression diagnosed. And I learned a lot about like advocating for myself with doctors and like asking for what I need and, you know, seeking support when things didn't feel right to like keep asking for help, even though it feels awkward and is hard. So I like emailed my OB And told her that I was struggling. And so then she scheduled an earlier appointment for me to come in so that she could check in with me. And then I emailed the psychiatrist I was seeing to be like, I'm a complete wreck. So I think, yeah, knowing that I needed help and being able to reach out for help was probably the most beneficial thing. I remember posting something on Facebook being like, mentally, I'm not, I'm not good. Like I need support. And a mom wrote me back. She's got two kids. She was like, it's totally okay to hate your husband right now. Mm -hmm. It's totally okay to be like angry and grumpy at your baby. That's a normal Mm -hmm. thing. It's okay to like hate motherhood, wish that things were back the way they were before. And I remember reading it and being like, oh my God, I totally needed to hear that. I just needed somebody to tell me like, it's okay to regret all of this. It's okay to not wish that this was your life and your lot in life at this point. I went to a new mom's group 
It's run by a lactation consultant. And so usually it's pretty surface level. Everyone is like, here's the breastfeeding problem I'm having. And like, here's what my baby's doing that's fun. You know, like nobody cries. And I just went in and was like sobbing. <laughs> I was like, I'm so crying my head off. Right. And so then other moms started crying. And, oh, and as yeah. we left, someone was like, I'm really glad that you were vulnerable because this is the most authentic I felt like this group has ever been and like the best discussions that we've ever had. Reaching out for help is one of Miriam's strengths. So is building communities and putting herself out there to make friends, even when it feels awkward. Her and her husband moved a lot over the last 10 years, so these skills became well-practiced. She joined as many new mom groups as her schedule allowed, and she stopped women with babies in the drugstore. Hi, do you want to be friends? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> do you live close by? Oh, I live close by. Like, let's exchange numbers That's and be great. friends, you yeah. know? And so I think that that was a, that was a huge lifesaver. Miriam's mother-in-law left, and in a surprising twist, it helped. Miriam found out she could take care of the baby on her own. Each week, she gained some confidence in taking care of him, figuring out their routine together, working out how to get both of their needs met. She continued getting support from professionals and proactively building connections to new moms. At six weeks, she says her hormones settled a bit, which helped her feel more like herself. And then at eight weeks, she was ready to let go of that last piece of motherhood vision. I can't do this. I can't fight him at the boob every single time and then pump and then feed him a bottle. It's just not, it's not worth that struggle. I remember texting my friend in New York being like, is it okay if I give up breastfeeding? Do I need to still keep trying? Is this okay to just stop? This is so stressful for both of us. It doesn't feel good. Yeah. You know, we we have all these messages of breast is best. You should only feed your baby breast milk. But for so many women, it like just doesn't work out yeah. at all. Yeah. So then there's all this guilt and shame that so many moms have of like, mm. should I? And I felt it too. Like, should I keep trying? Or is it okay to just be like, this is not working for us and we both need to protect our sanity? Yeah. I think it got to the point where I was like, I don't want to hold my baby in cradle pose, like hold him against me and have him always be pushing Mm -hmm. me away. You know, like I just, I can't imagine not being able to cuddle him like that. And that was a breaking point for me. So there's been a lot of healing and processing of that experience and trying to figure out like how to um, come to terms with all these things that went wrong and how to allow myself to like have grief over the failure of our nursing relationship, but then also seeing kind of ways that I am able to still be successful as a parent and take care of this baby. Miriam decided to exclusively pump, meaning she'd pump breast milk for each of her son's feedings. This could be a lonely feeding route to take. You're not part of the nursing group, not part of the formula group, just kind of in between and doing double the work. But that changed when Miriam found a supportive group online a group of women who encouraged each other and celebrated big when women reached their pumping goals. What was Miriam's new goal? Who knows? Yeah. Everything kind of changes so quickly and what works one day doesn't work another day. So we'll get to six months with pumping, I'm sure. And then we'll see kind of from there. Are you sitting down? I reached out to Miriam and she blew this goal out of the water. She's been exclusively pumping for 19 months now. She's five months away from her original goal of two years. And in an ironic twist, Miriam, 
who felt like a failure with nursing, turned out to be an overproducer. Her body makes more milk than her son needs. She has donated over a thousand ounces of breast milk, enough to feed a baby for 40 days. But don't let this lead you to believe that Miriam is in the breast milk only camp. She holds space for all the feeding options. And when she hears a new mom being pressured to breastfeed, she gets in their corner. It's okay to give up, everybody. It's totally okay to throw in the towel and choose what's best for you. And she's updating her guidance as a lactation consultant. I feel like if I had known earlier on that this was an option and it was a perfectly acceptable option and here's how you did it, that it would have given me a lot more freedom in like hating myself and my body less. One by one, Miriam built a new vision of motherhood. One based on unexpected definitions of success, real definitions of success. And with each passing week, it's like, I've kept him alive another yeah. couple of days. Like, go <laughs> me, go me. <laughs> yeah. You know, I think so much of the narrative was always like, oh my God, don't you love this so much? Isn't it just the most amazing time of your life? Ugh. Nope, it's not. It's really not. And that's totally okay and totally fine. And I think too that, yeah, every other mom is going through the hormonal shifts yeah. or things just falling apart and not feeling good. Mm. And when someone else is honest and is like, this really sucks, mm-hmm. then you're like, oh, okay, oh, yeah. I'm allowed to feel this <laughs> yeah, way. Totally. But there was something else I wanted to know. At so many points in Miriam's story, it is this act of sharing uncomfortable feelings and then receiving validation that carries her forward. The chaplain at the hospital, the random mom on Facebook, her friend she consulted about stopping breastfeeding. But what about her mom? Miriam had this idyllic childhood with a stay-at-home mom who loved kids and ran daycares. Miriam's exact words were that as cliche as it sounds, she thought motherhood was going to be blissful. And a huge reason why was because it looked blissful for her mom. Did she ever share these uncomfortable feelings with her mom? Yeah. um, I remember texting my mom, and texting her being like, is it okay to hate this? Like, this is really boring and I kind of hate it. Is that, is that, does that make me a terrible mom? She was like, nope, I hated it. And so my mom was like, I didn't really know many people. I would just go for like two or three walks a day just to get out of the house. We didn't have a TV. We didn't have like a radio. And like, she was just like, I was bored out of my mind. And then by the time the second one came around, I was like, okay, well, now there's at least a toddler to kind of talk with and engage with. My mom and I had a strong relationship before, but it's it's a new kind of level in our relationship where I don't feel like judged in any of my conversations with her because it, it feels like I understand so much more about what she went through and how hard things are for her. And so that's been been nice to have that new level in discussions with my mom and and be able to see her in a new light. This episode of The Birth of a Mother was produced by me, Amy Vicknair, edited by Emily Shaw, and music and sound design by Lily Sloan. Additional music provided by Blue Dot Sessions. Special thanks to Benjamin Hadeen. Do you want to be someone's random mom on Facebook and help them feel validated? Then head over to thebirthofamother.org and click share your story. Or if you just want to help us get more stories out, you can donate. We completely depend on donations to keep this project going. No amount is too small. Thank you. And thank you for listening to The Birth of a Mother. <laughs>